Today's episode of Seven the Edge is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash setting edge. That's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash setting edge. I'm popping bottles tonight. Come do for a fight if you're ready. I'm popping bottles, baby. I'm popping bottles, baby. Mm. I'm popping bottles tonight. Yeah. 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 Welcome to episode 78 of the Send the Edge podcast. I'm Just Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J U M O S Q. Uh, I'm here with my co host, Four Verts. You can find him on Twitter at Charles McDonald. People check. <laughs> Did you screw that up? Was that an accident and you just recovered? I'm I'm rusty. Okay, yeah. Uh, what's up, everybody? We're back. NFC West previews. It's been like a fucking I don't even know ridiculous couple of weeks. I mean, I'm I'm in commuter hell right now, uh, in the process of moving to DC. <laughs> I was told a story about you yesterday, where you were like, "Yeah, I'll hit you up when I get back from work," and I like posted it on Twitter because someone was like, "When are you guys bringing the pod back?" It's like nine o'clock, like your time or something. And you're like, I, I still haven't yeah, gone home it was, yet. It was almost ten. <laughs> uh, so right now, I live like right outside of Baltimore, and the office, SB Nation office I'm working at, is in DC. So for for those of you unfamiliar, DC traffic is already bad, but when you have to make that commute down because hella people live outside of DC and commute into DC, I mean, it usually takes me about two hours to get to work. So what I try to do at night is just kind of bide my time in the office a little bit or just walk around DC. Cause if I leave, if I leave the office at five and I'm in my car by like five 45, I'm not going to get home till probably close to like seven 30, which is outrageous, but that's just the situation that I'm dealing with. So yeah, I, I didn't leave the office till like eight o'clock yesterday, but the metro was running real slow. It took me forever to get back to my car. So yeah, that's why I was still commuting home at like almost ten o'clock. But we're here now. Uh, we're gonna talk about the NFC West, do a little season preview. Um, so we're we're just gonna continue where we left off and start uh, from worst to first last year, and we're gonna start off with the San Francisco Forty ers who have, uh, according to Justice, have a win total of ten. That's where that's where I projected it. It opened up around like eight, and I think it's up to nine now. But I would still, that was one that was one of my my favorite bets when lines opened up was San Francisco over eight. Okay, yeah. I mean, the thing is, so you know, we, we talked about uh, like last like the last time we did uh, the NFC South, we kind of talked about where the wind tolls are more. It's like a, a combination of schedule and talent. Like I don't, yeah, I, sure. I, I don't think that the 49ers are better than the saints or the Falcons, but like they could absolutely win more games this year just because of the nature of their schedule. So I, I don't think it'd be that crazy. Obviously I don't think it'd be that crazy if they hit that 10 win total or surpass it. Uh, obviously we know Jimmy Garoppolo was on fire to end the season still undefeated. Uh, he kind of had a little slip up in that game against the Rams backups, but outside of that, he was pretty much, on the money, uh, just in terms of, like, his efficiency with what he was doing. I mean, if you just looked at his adjusted yards per attempt, I'm pretty sure he would have ranked in, like, the top five 
for the season if he had enough qualifying attempts. So obviously, like you got to be pretty encouraged there. Uh, I'm I'm really just interested to see how this offense kind of plays out, where you don't have one like defined target monster, I guess, but you have a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things. Like Jared McKinnon, obviously uh, the big free agent signing at running back from Minnesota. I thought George Kittle had a pretty nice rookie year. They just extended Marquise Goodwin. You're going to get Pierre Garçon back. So there's not like one, you know, a Julio Jones type, but it's a lot of guys that can run after the catch. And I think that that's what they're kind of trying to mold their offense uh, into. It's honestly kind of hard for me to imagine like this offense really having more of an identity than just like, hey, Shanahan runs zone a lot and they run play action off of zone action. You know what I mean? It's really hard to kind of like pin down their team to an identity. So you were talking about uh, the game he had against the Rams backups, right? So I actually charted the first half of that game trying to figure out if there were any like – obviously there's like backfield tendencies, right? Mm -hmm. Like a running back is aligned to a quarterback in a certain way. It's like, okay, well this is the ideal situation run like inside zone. But I was looking at more of how their wide receivers and tight ends were aligned and stuff, right? And I looked, and if you include motion, that, that entire first half of that game, they didn't run the same formation one single time. There's a play in the red zone, I th- want to say. It's either in the red zone or right outside the red zone, where they come out, and it's like, you know you know when teams come out with like that nub tight end, right? Where people call it like YISO or whatever? Yeah. Where it's just that single tight end on one side. Well, there were three on one side. Three tight ends in a row on one side. And then he motions the running back out to like Z receiver on the other side. <laughs> so it's like your, your running back is playing Z, right? Your one receiver is in the slot and then you have three tight ends to one side. He's an empty in the red zone. And I, that's like the point where it kind of started getting into my head where it's like, buddy, Shanahan has so much time and this playbook is so big that like, he's probably never even running, you know, outside of like run plays, right? Like inside zone or something like that. He's probably not running these plays out of a, the same formation multiple times in a game, let alone, you know, in a half or anything. So I just kind of quit after that. But yeah, um, they definitely have skilled players, right? So like McKinnon's an interesting guy. Um, I think Brieta, is that how you say his name? Yeah, Matt Brieta, something like that. I forget how you say his name. I think he's, he's a pretty interesting guy because he was a guy that everyone liked going into his senior year. Like all the fantasy guys who are all the the draft twitter guys who are super into that stuff um really liked him but he kind of fell off his senior year and then he ended up in san francisco and he ended up doing he ended up higher on the the uh depth chart than joe williams i believe yeah um so one two punch to those guys and then cues check whenever they're in a situation where like they actually need to unleash the like running back or the fullback wheel route like he's there for it um, so he's definitely like a guy who they're going to do like Mike McCarthy shit, man. Like John Kuhn, you could pin down John Kuhn getting a reception in the red zone every single time the Packers were in the playoffs. I feel like it's basically the same thing with like Kuzcheck and the 49ers. Yeah. Or like they're not going to use Kuzcheck until like they're in elimination game type scenario. And then when they do, he's just going to be unleashed like that. So Yeah, I remember when they played the Jaguars this year. Uh, they, they Twice. Won. Twice. They got him twice with a wheel route. Yep. Uh, I mean, they, they got to a point like where it was Paul Puzzleslie's matched up on Usyk in the open field on wheel route, and I mean, he just had no chance. Uh, Puzzleslie did. So and their offense is just fascinating. I remember when we were talking about after Atlanta uh, played the Packers in the MC Championship game, we were like, yo, like Shanahan's not even playing the same game as Capers. And even just like watching how 
they manifest how the Falcons offense like manifested himself for those three games in the playoff. Like he has so much up his sleeve. Shanahan does. Like I mean, they're even running like pretty much a different offense in the postseason than he did during the regular season. So it's it's almost it's hard to like pinpoint at least fantasy wise what's going to happen. But I think that skill wise, their offense should. I mean, it has the potential to be top ten pretty easily just because. They're kind of like people under people underrate how good Goodwin is too. Yeah, like yeah, Goodwin sure. is legitimately like, if you said he's a top fifteen receiver in the NFL right now, I would believe you. Yeah, he's 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 going to be. I think he's going to. I mean, there's a reason they extended him, and he's much more than just kind of like that one trick pony that he showed off in Buffalo. Like he's he's a real receiver, and uh, it's gonna, it's going to be cool because like they're embracing this new kind of style of football where. You know, it's, it's like why Des Bryant doesn't have a job right now. Like you need to be able to run after the catch. Just like when you look at how the average depth of the average depth of targets is like getting closer and closer to the line of scrimmage each year, that like possession, you know, you're you're going to catch it and get tackled immediately. That guy's kind of lost his value. You need guys that can get loose in the open field. So now you have all these playmakers that can run, like all these skilled guys that can run, and you have a quarterback that can deliver it accurately. I, I think it's just going to be really fun to watch. They're going to be super unpredictable just because they don't have, like, that one guy. But uh, uh, you want let's, let's switch over to the defense because that side of the ball. <laughs> question marks everywhere. How, yeah, you want marks. to talk about their defensive line for the third straight year in a row? How, mean, do, they, how do they match up? What, how do they use Eric Armstead, Forrest Buckner, and Solomon Thomas? I, I don't know. Like, I, I could have sworn, like, at some point they were just going to trade Armstead just because, I mean, I, I think Armstead's a like he's definitely a starting cow. He could start for someone, but right. having him and Tim Buckner on the same line doesn't really make sense unless you're going to be three, four heavy. And other than San Francisco when they had Chip Kelly, the only other team that really like plays like three down like that at this point is probably Pittsburgh, and they have two ends already. So I don't know, I don't know, I don't know who's really searching for that big end type of guy. You know what I mean? Right. It's kind of. A, uh, it's just it's it's just like. It, and then obviously you need Solomon Thomas to kind of show more as a pass rusher. He was he was great as an edge defender versus a run. I uh, I thought he kind of sucked inside as a run defender, but I mean on the edge he was probably one of the best in the league. Uh, you just kind of got to figure out how to get you know get that pass rush going. But you know I I think that he's some, also like he's like twenty two or something yeah he like he that. just started so like, I'm gonna give him a pass yeah, yeah I'm so, gonna give the twenty two year old guy who's never played defensive end before in his life a pass for his first year in the NFL right and then like obviously what you saw from him as a run defender was great and it, you know you see some forty nine er fans get on him like oh is he ever gonna be a great pass rusher like dude he just he's just able to go to the bar like give him a chance to kind of get his feet wet and get his man straight up. <laughs> Just be patient with athletes. Ask Chargers fans what their feelings were about Melvin Ingram like a year and a half ago compared to now. Oh, yeah. Because they, they hated Melvin Ingram when he got the tag. And I was astonished because I was like, I would rather get – I would rather pay him – because this was when the Packers uh, – Nick Perry was a free agent, right? And I was like, I would much rather pay Melvin Ingram than Nick Perry. And people thought I was crazy. And I was like, you guys are morons. I don't understand. Um, so second level, right? Uh, so nose tackle – Earl Mitchell isn't that great, right? Like, he's okay, but he's not that great. Um, if Reuben Foster ends up in a situation where, you know, he's not really playing games this year, um, their linebacker unit could get exposed big time. Oh, yeah. Uh, how many how many games is Foster out for again? I believe it's either two or four. I will check it right now. 
Facts. Facts. Two games. Okay. So, so I, I mean, that that's that's not bad as far as, like, damage control. Against, against, against Minnesota, which, okay, like, guard issues. Yeah. And the Detroit Lions, who, like, maybe have a running back? I don't know. It depends what you they, they have a running back. His, his name's uh, Golden Tate. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I mean, but I feel like, you know, when you play teams like the Vikings and the Lions, like that, that can actually hurt you not having uh, a pretty dope linebacker. I don't know. I don't think the Vikings are any good at running the ball. But I don't think – I'm not talking about that. I mean, just like if you get matched up like in the short game with Dalvin Cook one-on-one and you got like some below replacement level guy, that could be an issue. The combine by his name, Malcolm Smith. Uh, okay, so below replacement level guy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, we don't need to spend too much time talking about linebackers. They're they're linebackers. When when Foster comes back, I'm sure he'll be a stud uh, once again, and that'll be a big boost. But I think the biggest thing to touch on with the 49ers defense is obviously their secondary. Like young the, guys, the young guys, and Sherman coming off an ACL or an Achilles injury, which you know, I don't know what to expect there. Like right off the bat. Uh, if he gets back to form, I mean, that's that's going to be a massive, massive boost. Just because I thought uh, Akilah Witherspoon started to figure out a little bit towards the end of the year. And Adrian Colbert, that safety they got from Miami, uh, that's an undrafted free agent. He's he's a gem as far as, like, you know, draft capital into returns goes. So, I mean, th- their secondary is intriguing. I don't know if it'll be good, but I think they could end up having, like, maybe, like, around a league average pass defense if that pass rush can turn it up a little bit. Which, like, for what you've invested in it, not bad. like, recently, right? Not bad? Because you kind of haven't really been paying attention to DB. Like, you've been dumping assets into into the front seven. You've been dumping assets into the offensive line and to skill players on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, as, as far, like, they don't expect to be great at defensive back. That was never part of their plan, at least at this point. So, yeah. Um, all you can say is just, like, I don't know. There, there's definitely like boom or bust. I, I, probably not even boom, just like bust potential here, right? Like just so many young guys, Richard Sherman with his Achilles issue. Like there's still potential for this to be like a really bad situation. Um, but it's more like wait and see. Wait, they could be average. They could be. Or it could be a disaster. But, you know, I think, and like, like you said, the only big, uh, at least the only big, acquisition that this this front office and head coaching staff has made into the DBs is Richard Sherman. I mean, Achille Weatherspoon was the third-round pick. Like I said, Colbert was undrafted, and I think those are like the only two guys that really added to this defense, defensive backfield. They got Rashard Robinson the fuck out of here, like, ASAP, so... <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I remember when he was a little draft Twitter star for a little bit. The next shutdown corner, the guy who nobody wanted because he was like such a knucklehead. Every everyone's a draft Twitter star, baby. Yep. Uh, so I mean, I, I could definitely see them going over, and it's not it, it's not about like their talent. It's more about who they get to play and like and really just how much like I believe in Shannon to kind of just coach these guys up because I, I think. What was really interesting about the 49ers offense last year is when Brian Hoyer and C.J. Beathard were playing, if you just watch the All-22, you could see guys like running wide the fuck open down the field like all the time, but you just didn't have a quarterback that could deliver to them, and now you, you have that. So 
I, I'm I'm a believer in this offense. Uh, I I think it's gonna be a fun year to watch them. I think the NFC in general is just gonna be a blast to watch. So I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go push on the 49ers ten wins. That's where I am. I I think there's probably a better chance of them going under ten than above ten. But I think ten's the right number. I think that's where like people's mindsets need to be. You know what I mean? I I think that eight and eight number was a little too low. Yeah. Uh, all right, next team, Arizona Cardinals. You had them at four and a half wins? Four and a half. Most books you can have uh, five and a half. So still money out there, but this team's not good, especially in the NFC. So what worries, what worries you the most about this team? Uh, they're not good at anything other than defense, but they've hemorrhaged talent on the defensive side of the ball in recent off seasons, including their defensive coordinator. So at this point... I, I don't I don't know what they do well consistently, like as a full unit. Because even like the front seven, like they very much have question marks. They didn't know how to use Hassan Reddick uh, last year at all. Um, Buchanan at some point is just becoming a small linebacker for him. Um, like Olsen Pierre is probably the most underrated defensive lineman in the, NF- the uh, NFC West. Um, but he's not really getting playing time like that. So then you got Chandler Jones, who you know is good, right? Yeah. And then Marcus Golden coming off of an injury. So, like, if, if that's what you hang your hat on, like, that's fine. There's teams that would rather have that. But I wouldn't say that front seven is any good. In the secondary, we re- we still don't know who Buda Baker is. Like, we were big fans of Buda Baker. But, like, in terms of NFL experience, he's not there yet. And then it's Patrick Peterson. Because they, they lost Jamal Williams, who played out of his mind low-key um, last year for the Cardinals. And then they lost Tyrell Matthew, which he's been a little bit up and down, but you're – getting rid of the ups and the downs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're having a brand-new entire foreign body coming in here to start, so. Yeah, and the thing with Matthew that, I I mean, at least this is just my kind of thought process on it. I thought that, like, towards the end of the year, he, he started to get that juice back and be, like, the old player that he was. But, uh, you know, he's, he's gone now, and uh, it's safe to assume that Buddha Baker is going to take over, like, that same exact role. So I, I think that Buddha played well for his snaps last year, but obviously you haven't seen it over a full 16 starter, like a 16-game sample where he started in every single game. Uh, so that that's a wild card. We got a question from somebody asking if this is the year that Kandichi actually breaks out. And maybe. I don't know. My rabbit just got into this food. Hold up. Got <laughs> back. Uh, you were talking about Robert Kandichi. Yes. No, it's not happening. Yeah, somebody he's played asked. like ten, he's played like ten snaps, and I was a big fan of uh, his highlights in college. He definitely had potential, um, but at some point, I, he's probably pretty young too. He's probably only like twenty three or something like that. But I don't know, man. At some point, the NFL doesn't make mistakes, and you don't get like second and third and fourth chances. Like at some point, if if you're not broken out as a first round pick, probably not just not going to happen. We've seen it happen with uh, what's his name Butler. In Carolina, right, where he's just buried in the depth chart. Like, yeah, this, he's, this probably, is a, this he's probably is a, just not going to get a shot. So yeah, this is a uh, big year for both of them because they're both entering year three now. Damn. Yeah. Well, like so, so Peters got the bag, right? Yeah. Peters is locked up for a while, and then Olson Pierre, like low key, like I already said, like he's really good. <laughs> like if they play any sort of defense where they have like a full time three technique, because Arizona moves these guys around a bunch, right? Um, if they have a defense where he has where he can play full time three technique. Um, he probably will start and play 70% of snaps. So that doesn't really leave Robert, Robert Kim DJ, you know, much room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's like at some point you got to produce and he hasn't yet. So, I mean, obviously yeah. we, we know. Rooting for you, buddy. But at this point, I, 
not, not what am I supposed to say? Yeah. <laughs> I hope it works out just because, you know, it's always fun to have those like freakishly, freakishly, freakishly athletic defensive linemen in the league just balling. But, you know, it, it, it hasn't materialized yet for a reason. So if he gets there, this is like this is like the year where we see if he has it or not. If he gets there, sweet. If he doesn't, we kind of all saw the signs coming the, the first two years of his career. Uh, flip side of the ball. Woof. I mean, it, it's like it's David Johnson. David David Johnson, hold out for your money, bro. Don't don't look, David Johnson. If you're listening to this podcast, which I know you are, you definitely are. Uh, don't play this year. Like, just figure out a way to kind of pull a Kawhi. Maybe you you know you play in the first game and halfway through, after Sam Bradford's been sacked for the sixth time and you know he's being carried off from the stretcher and Josh Rosen has his deer in the headlights. Maybe you know you just fake a little. Oh, my wrist hurts again. Uh, I don't know. Maybe my ankle hurts this time. You just kind of play that through all the way through until you get your extension. Because we all know how good you actually are. But there's no point in kind of you know using your body as a battering ram for a team that has no real prospects for this year. But I mean, outside of David Johnson, what is like what is there to be excited about for a Cardinals fan on this team? Because I mean, I think this offensive line is probably going to be pretty bad. Uh, if I mean Larry Fitzgerald, like the the nice. two the two dudes got arrested, right? Is Ricky Seals Jones who just got arrested, oh, yeah. and then Christian Kirk who got arrested, and then I think that stuff got overturned or something. He was like throwing a rock. The two Texas A&M boys reunited. Yeah, who thought that that was a good idea? <laughs> I don't even know if they really <laughs> who thought, thought that, that was, was a good idea. And then Chad Williams, who's like the other receiver on the team, didn't get invited to the combine because he was like arrested for something like assault or something like that. Remember? Yeah. And at the senior bowl, he was the guy who was getting into fights. Like some like. Cardinals went all in on, like, all right, character concerns do not exist. Like, they went galaxy brain on character concerns do not exist at all. I mean, look at their uh, GM, <laughs> Steve Kahn. <laughs> he just got suspended five weeks for extreme DUI. I know, I know Officer McNulty. Let me free. <laughs> okay. What, okay, let's talk about this for a second. What does Steve Kahn being suspended five weeks before the season start do? Uh... Well, one, do you think he's abiding by rules? Like, no. do you think there, <laughs> like, if, if there's something goes down, he's talking about it. Like, there's going to be an open way of conversation at some point. Yeah, of um, course. I don't, I don't know. What are they even doing? So it's like camp, right? So it's like, oh no, like, Steve Kahn doesn't get QP? to. It's like, like it's and stuff. Like, what's going on? I don't know. It's like, oh no, Steve Kahn doesn't have to stand in 120 degree weather for five weeks. Well. Big punishment right there, and then he can watch from afar and make his decisions there. He's got an NFL network. I bet you, he knows what's going on. Yeah, and, and, and I'm sh- I'm sure someone's slipping him film of practice after every day. Like there, there. But like at the same time, like okay, how much of a how much of that even matters? None. You know not, what I mean? Not that much. <laughs> like if you're if you're a GM, what are you doing at this point? Like the only relevant, like maybe trades, like trades might go down because it's five weeks, right? You said yeah, five weeks. Because, like, trades might go down because, like, in that five-week time frame is probably when we saw guys like Sammy Watkins get traded, I would assume, if, if my timetable is correct. Um, but other than that, like, even late free agents and stuff are already signed, so it doesn't really matter. I, I don't think that this affects anything at all. Nope, it doesn't. I mean, even if, if you got suspended for five weeks during the season, I don't even think that would be a big deal. Uh, it, somebody was saying that we should, you know, if you really want to hurt the GMs, yeah, when they do stuff like this, you should suspend them for the entire month of April and then the first week of May. 
<laughs> but like lock, you have to lock them up. Like right, we have to right. know. You have to like, and we, and we get <laughs> we we get to televise their reaction to the draft. Yeah, that's because we we have to know that they have no input whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, enough about Steve Kahn. This team stinks, man. Uh, I, I'm sure that it's, Sam. It's the worst team in the NFC. Yeah, it's the worst team in the NFC. Uh, I'm sure that if you know if slash when Sam Bradford gets hurt. You know, Josh Rodden's going to play at some point this year. Uh, it's, just, it's really just a matter of when. Because I, uh, do you trust Sam Bradford to stay healthy for 16 games? Uh, our lad says that their starting right tackle is Andre Smith. Okay, so no. <laughs> That's my answer. Yeah. And his backups are Will, Will Holden and John Wetzel. I have hope for Holden. I, I still think Holden's tape was decent. But I mean, they might Wetzel, start Holden. Wetzel was bad. They should. They should have started him last year. What's they the start him at left tackle instead of that bum DJ Humphreys. Yeah, I forgot DJ Humphreys was a thing too. Uh, so yeah, this team stinks. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go under four point five. I think four and twelve is probably appropriate for them. What about you? Yep, mock draft season starting in like October or something. Yep. Uh, all right, next team, the Seattle Seahawks, who have gone under like a, a tremendous transformation on defense. Obviously, you know Richard Sherman is across the division with the 49ers. Cam Chancellor sadly had to call it quits after that neck injury just, you know, ravaged his body pretty much. Uh, now it's really just Earl Thomas back there with Bobby Wagner. I mean, I, Wow, I, Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett don't even get a mention on the exodus. Oh, I, I, was, I was getting there. I was talking about the Legion of Boom. Okay. Yeah. Well and then, you know, on the front, what, what, what was Cliff Averill's deal? Like, what was his injury? He had a neck injury. Yeah, so, yeah, he lost two guys to neck injuries, and then uh, Michael Bennett obviously got shipped over to the Philadelphia Eagles for a fifth-round pick. So, congrats. For a punter. For yeah, a punter. For a punter, right. A Michael punter. Dixon out of Texas. Yeah. Right, a punter. Michael, the, you know, he has some fans on draft Twitter, but you traded uh, you traded Michael Bennett for a punter. That cannot feel too good. They, like, they, they, drafted, they drafted a blocking tight end before the punter. That they drafted with the pick that they acquired from trading away Michael Bennett. Yeah, and now do the math, do the math on that one. <laughs> and now, like when you look at Seattle and the decisions that they've made recently, right? Like just the like their entire twenty eighteen draft class. I don't know what the hell that was, where they felt like they needed to take Rashad Penny in the first round. I don't. I'm not really sure what's going on there. It kind of makes you wonder, like. It's because they were awful in the red zone, but they like put it on the running back instead of because I, I think it was like they had they had twenty one carries inside the ten and they had uh, none of their running backs gained a single yard like net yards right nice none of, which is awful. But instead of fixing their offensive line, like the biggest free agent that they signed this offseason was DJ Fluker. Is DJ Fluker good? No. In the draft, the first offensive lineman they drafted was Jamarco Jones, who's a fifth round pick. Do fifth round pick start? No. Well, maybe on this line. <laughs> maybe, maybe on this line. but like, no, no. it's like Reese, Reese Odiumbo is like still in like the starting conversation God, right now for this so line, bad. and they skip, they skipped over like what should have been like underlined bullet point italicized starred right, which was team needs offensive line. I mean, it's weird because they traded down and like they were in prime position like they could have just taken will hernandez at 27 you know i mean i think we all would have been yeah. like hey that's a pretty good pick and you know you got I think su- they, could, couldn't they have taken win i think win was still on the board wasn't he win was that 23 oh, okay so Michelle it was okay the, the, yeah yeah that's what it was it was the second pass pick then yeah um 
but yeah, there were still plenty of guards on the board, like plenty of guys who were like projected going. I feel like the top half of the first round or the second round, like the top guys on like draft Twitter boards were like guards. And as much as we make fun of like, as guys who played in the line like to make fun of offensive linemen, right? Like Will Hernandez was like actually good. Oh yeah, yeah, he's real good. Like he's one of the he's one of the small school guys that checks all the boxes, you know, like durable. Well, his whole thing was athletic. like grades. Like he was getting recruited by like SC and stuff, and they were like, "You dropped out of school to do construction. Like you, you can't get in this private school. Go to Utah." Racist. Racist. Uh, <laughs> uh, That's a true story. Yeah, yeah, that's that a very true story. But what I was about to say is, are we sure like Seattle just didn't like stumble into dumb luck, like success for a couple of years? I mean, they hired. They just hired Brian Schottenheimer to be their offensive coordinator. The same Brian, Brian Schottenheimer who struggled to score points at Georgia when he had pre-injury Nick Chubb, who was like one of the best running backs I've ever seen, and Sony Michelle. Like, if you have those two players, like you could be, you should be able to put up at least like thirty points a game. And they were getting shut out, and like it shut down on the reg. And you know, if you ask any Jets fan. Any Rams fan about Brian Schottenheimer, they will tell you he's one of the worst off of the coordinators like ever coach for their team. I can attest to that as a Georgia fan. He's bad even for college standards. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't understand like the direction that they're going with this team, really. And it doesn't really feel like they didn't – it doesn't really feel like they made any strides this offseason. It, it I mean, they got worse on defense, uh, like, yep. objectively, and then on offense <laughs> – they had a horrible offensive line, and they drafted a running back. Um, let's talk about how many how many games does this team win if Russell Wilson goes down? So the backup Oof. quarterbacks are Austin Davis and something called uh, Alex Magoo. Uh, that's a fake name. Uh, if, if Russell if Russell gets hurt, I think they might be worse than the Cardinals. For sure. Because Austin Davis will be starting football games. Right. I agree. Yeah, and I, I think like the only like the biggest saving grace that they have outside of Russell Wilson. I mean, Doug Baldwin's still a pretty nice receiver. Now you have now you're like counting on Tyler Lockett, who hasn't done much since he had that awful, awful uh, broken leg versus the Cardinals a couple of years ago. Uh, it, it's just like a weird, barren outscape like landscape for them, and they just didn't do anything so, to address it. Who's the best draft pick that they've had in like the last, what is it, 18, 18, 17, 40 years? Is it Frank Clark? Frank Clark, probably. And Frank Clark last year was the third best defensive lineman. On yeah, the team I, I was going to say. Coming into the season. Either Frank Clark or I think, uh, what's his face? The kid who looks The just corner? Like, yeah, Shaquille Griffin. I, I think he looks yeah. like, a, like he could be a stud too. But Yeah, he's pretty good. I mean. That's that's not saying much though. Like they've kind of been coasting off of old talent and like old talent is slowly evaporating away or on Instagram begging to be traded to the Dallas Cowboys. So, yep, uh, they're just kind of in a space where they're they, they 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 were on such a good drafting streak for like for that stretch from what like 2010 to 2012 where they just got the entire core of their team, but. As we know, football will eat you up and spit you out real quick. And if you aren't drafting well enough to replace that, you just kind of end up in limbo. So now they're in a place like where they have Russell Wilson. And, you know, I think we're both on the same page. He's, he's probably like one of the best four quarterbacks, four or five quarterbacks in the game right now. But you just, you've just surrounded him with nothing. 
Uh, let's play a game. So since the Rodgers draft class, right, 2005, who do you think have been the best quarterbacks drafted in the league? Since 2005? Yeah, af- so after the Rodgers class. Uh, okay. I, I have my two in mind. Your two? The top two quarterbacks? Yep. yep. Matt Ryan and Russ? Yep. That's why. That's why I came to the conclusion, too. I was doing the all-time quarterback thing that I've been working on. Um, yeah, and I mean, but like, so like with Russ, it's like he's caught up with Ryan's value in with four. Yeah, <laughs> Russ is definitely on pace to be a Hall of Famer, especially when you include his playoff stuff. But um, the weird thing is, like, this can very much be a situation where like Russell Wilson's kind of in the spot where Cam is right now, right? Where it's like the numbers definitely might not add up to the talent this year, yeah, just because the surround the supporting cast just is there. And you know what, like. You probably could have said that other years before, but like at some point, it's probably got to catch up to him, right? Like it's the same thing with Russ not missing a single game in his NFL career so far. Like at some point, it can't be Russell Wilson hero ball forever, right? Like yeah. at some point, he's gonna this, get hurt. This, yeah, this house of cards got to come down at some point, man. Oh wait, I forgot. You know they added uh, Brandon Marshall, so you know Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett. Brandon Do you Marshall. think he makes the team? Do you think he makes the team? Because well, they did not give him any guaranteed money at all. I mean, maybe not, but who who is the uh, who's the third receiver behind Lockett and Jerron Brown? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I legit did not know anything about him besides that. I used to get him and John Brown mixed up all the time. Now they both are irrelevant. Um, and then uh, also like Amara Darbo, the guy who's picked top one hundred for him last year, who like no one thought he was going to go top one hundred. Everyone thought it was kind of a dumb idea, and now he might be cut by the second year. See, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. They kind of stumbled into that success where, it, okay, I mean, it's not replicable. I mean, getting getting Byron Maxwell in the sixth round, Cam Chancellor in the fifth round, Richard Sherman in the fifth round, Russell Wilson in the third round, like, that's just, that's that's freakily good luck. Uh, and now they're just kind of seem like they're not able to sustain that. And it's, it, like, this year could be ugly for them, but... You know, Russell Wilson is like he is such a supreme talent that he could keep that team afloat and like have them clawing for like maybe, you know, a six seed or maybe they're like one of those teams where if XXX and X goes right, they could slip into the playoffs. But I just don't really see how this team can be equipped for even like a postseason run at this point. I think not like winning a playoff game, I think, is a bit of a stretch. But I think they can get in the playoffs if just some random shit happens, just because the NFC just will eat itself alive, right? Like, even, even with Seattle not being in a great situation, having Russell Wilson, they'll probably go like seven to nine at worst, right? If Russell stays healthy. Yep. So that's not too far away from just like sneaking into the playoffs with like a nine and seven record or something like that. So I can see him going into the playoffs, but uh, I don't foresee this team making any sort of noise. Yeah. So, so what, what was it? What was it? In, uh, the over under was it eight point five or just eight? Eight. I'm gonna push. Same. I mean, purgatory. I, I, yeah, they're in purgatory, but at least you got the quarterback. Now you just got to figure everything else out. They're like they're. It almost feels like they're about to enter that like 2013, 2014 Atlanta Falcons phase, like where you got the quarterback. It's just like, all right, now we just need to. keep figure out how the fuck we ended up here where we have no talent anywhere else outside of, you know, Bobby, Bobby Wagner, Earl Thomas, and Frank Clark on the defensive line. So it's just going to be really interesting to see one, how that defense comes together without Earl, I mean, without uh, Sherm and Cam and Averill and Bennett. Uh, and then, you know, seeing how well Russell Wilson can play. Cause 
you know, he, he's obviously good enough to do it all by himself, but it's just taxing when you have to run for your life 16 games a year. Uh, so, yeah, push. And final team, the Los Angeles Rams, who, I mean, this team is, this team is exciting, man. Like, I, I, I I'm still want to see how it all meshes because, you know, Sue, Marcus Peters, and Aqib Tlaib, that's a lot personality-wise, <laughs> on defense. But, I mean, if there's anyone that can handle it, it's probably Wade Phillips. Uh, obviously, Aaron Donald coming back, he's probably about to get this extension before the season starts. So, they, I mean, they've got a star-studded defense outside of linebacker and edge rusher. Uh, not too concerned about linebacker, but edge rusher could absolutely be a problem for them. But, I mean, if it does become a problem with for them, you can just put Aaron Donald at the end and let him get 10 sacks there, and you have Brockers and Sue still on the inside with Dominic easily backing them up. So I think they, there are ways they can kind of work around that edge rusher issue. Linebacker, probably just going to punt that till next year, even the year after. Uh, but how do you how do you see, like, this defense playing out? Is, do you think it's going to be – how much better could it be than last year is what I'm asking. Um, well, they were actually pretty good last right. year. They were, they, they were, they really were a good defense last year, at least yeah, they, defense wise. They were pretty good. And I think they like improved their cornerback situation, which usually doesn't happen when you double tag a guy and then let him walk. Right. <laughs> like that's what happened with Tremaine Johnson. Um, so I think their secondary is probably better. I would say just because Marcus Peterson to keep to leave, like they might be hotheads, whatever. But when guys like people don't even talk about like Sam Shields. Coming back as like a potential, like Sam Shields, I think from the moment he was he entered the league uh, to the point that he retired, the only cornerback with more interceptions than him over that time was Richard Sherman. So like if they could rehab like a Sam Shields and have him be as a third cornerback there, that's amazing and game changing to a phenomenal level. Um, so really, like the only question mark that I have right is what you already said: inside linebacker and uh, outside linebacker, basically, um, with edge guys, but. You know, Aaron Donald worked out for the Pittsburgh Steelers as an outside linebacker when they did, like, his pro day and stuff. So I could totally see him kicking outside. Like, if worse comes to worse and they're just like, yep, and Dominican Sue and Michael Brockers are going to eat one-on-ones or eat, eat uh, three-on-two, basically, on the inside. And we're going to have Aaron Donald one-on-one with the right tackle because Aaron Donald's still more athletic than yeah, right tackle. I mean, he ran a 4-6, so <laughs> yeah. he'll be okay. He can outrun. He's going to outrun right tackles, and it's going to be amazing to see. I actually, like – just to see it as like an experiment, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think it would be really fun to watch. If you, if, if you get a chance, uh, back not last year because obviously they took their starters out for that week seventeen, but the year before in twenty sixteen, uh, they were already out of the playoffs, so they were just kind of dicking around on defense in that week seventeen game, and they put Aaron Donald at, uh, they put him over the right tackle for like a handful of pass rush snaps, and I mean, he kicked ass like. There, there, there's nothing that he can't do. Like, if, I, I think we're on the same page. Like, if Aaron Donald came out of Pittsburgh and was like, "Yo, I want to be a full-time defensive end," he'd still be an All-Pro. Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, yeah how different is he from like Kerry Hyder? Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, like guys like Aaron that. Donald. They're like, yeah, except for he's like ten, <laughs> ten times more athletic. Like he didn't run a four nine; he ran a four six. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when they get, I, I, I'm really just excited when they when they run those bare fronts where they're going to have brockers at nose and oh it's going to be impossible and, and, and it's going to be impossible because you can't if you pull someone it's going to be Seward donald like free range to your running back like before you can even get the handoff off <laughs> man that was so funny like when 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 they signed sue and people were like well how are they going to defend against outside zone 
bro, you still got Aaron Donald and Dominic and Sue. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, okay, you, you have you have one on ones with all three guys on the inside. They're not worrying too much about outside zone. I promise you. Yeah, like you, what? I don't know. I mean, like I, we talked about, like what what can you even really do to attack? Like they have weak outside linebackers. Like you could do like crack toss stuff, right? Like you motion a receiver down, crack crack. Uh, crack the outside linebacker and then like pull the right tackle. Dude, right? And that, that play okay. still might be done before it gets to the line of scrimmage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like, okay, if you want to do that a hundred times this game so you could score 21 points, go for it. Yeah, that's fine. Like, it, it was just kind of weird to see people go, oh, outside zone, screen game. Like, okay, like, if that's what you're worried about stopping, like, you're in a damn good place on defense. Like, you're worried about stopping a run play and like and a play like where they're trying to get the ball out super duper quick. So and it, even on that, Aaron Donald's fast enough to chase those guys down. Sue's athletic enough to you know stop those plays before they get going. It's just it's a weird thing to be concerned about. You know, outside zone when you have two of the three best defensive tackles in the league. Run run defense does not matter unless it's tackles for a loss. It doesn't matter. So let let's play another game. How many sacks do that quadruplet of Rockers, Sue, Donald, easily get. Like, could they get 20 sacks? <clears throat> I don't think it's out of the question. If you said Sue gets eight and Donald gets eight, I don't think that would be super out of the question. So oh, that's no. 16 already. No. Right? So 20, I could see 20 being realistic. Like, I, I pray for my son Dominique Easley's knees at this point. And I do not wish to put any more bad will on him. As I've jinxed him his entire career, but but the thing with Easley is even though he like his career hasn't panned out, when he plays like he can still like when, when he plays he can still fuck shit up on the interior. So the uh, the next the next gen stat stuff that our good friend Matt Harmon came out with he's at uh, Yahoo now. Um, but when what was it last off season when they did a recap of what happened in what would have been what twenty sixteen that season the last healthy season that Dominic Easley played. Um, when they did, like, basically what they do is they track uh, their body relative to a pass getting out of a quarterback's hands, right? And they did interior defensive linemen. And, like, w- number one was Aaron Donald, right? That checks out. Like, three through ten were, like, other top-tier defensive tackles like Mike Daniels, Fletcher Cox, uh, Geno Atkins, guys like that, right? So, like, everything passed the sniff test all the way down. But number two was Dominic Easley. So, like, Dominic Easley was a rotational defensive tackle, but in terms of how efficiently he was getting to the quarterback when he was playing, he was the second most efficient defensive tackle in the sport. Um, so getting a guy like that, if he's healthy, buddy, this could be the top interior line that we've, like, ever seen. You know what I mean? Yep. So I, I don't think it's out of the question to say something like that. So And, and also, uh, I don't think it, – it, it's funny because people are concerned about the Rams' cap situation moving forward. Like, they, they have almost $80 million they don't have any. They don't have any money – like tied up long term, like no. it's all short term money. As soon some of these guys are going to fall off, and they're going to have the ability to just walk away from. Them. Right, they're going to be fine. They they have I think about like seventy five or eighty million in cap for next year, and people are like, oh, you know, they don't have many, they don't have much cap space this year. Like, okay, it's it's July. It's that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, the, who what are, who are they going to sign? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it doesn't Andrew matter. Whitworth is thir- Andrew Whitworth is thirty six. He's probably not getting a second contract. They probably know it. It's probably why they drafted Joseph Notaboom. So. Yeah. Uh, they, they have plans at this point. Moving on to the other side of the ball, this this, like, this whole thing with the Rams' offense this year is just fascinating to me because, like, if you just look at uh, 
just yards per target last year. They had three guys in the top 20 for yards per target with Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Todd Gurley. Uh, so obviously, you know, it, it's just not feasible to expect that again. But they added Brandon Cooks, who is who was, I want to say, seventh or eighth in yards per target. So, you know, on paper, you have four of the top 20 guys in terms of yards per target last season entering this offense or continuing to play for this offense. That is going to be so fascinating. And, you know, people talk about, oh, Brandon Cooks, he's he's not playing with Tom Brady anymore. He has to play with Jared Goff, okay? But he has to oh, play, okay. He gets to play with still, Sean McVay. He's still 4-3. He's still 4-3 right. fast. How nerdy do you want to get in this conversation? Because I have a couple of Brandon Cooks things. Okay. So I was fucking around on pro football reference one day, okay, as one does, as a normal human does. And I was looking up basically like situational splits, right, for like wide receivers and stuff. Because we've talked about this before where like I very – it's very hard for me to figure out an efficiency wide receiver stat that makes any sense to me where I'm like, yes, this is what reflects like what happens on the field. Like this makes sense, right? It does, just doesn't pass the sniff test to me. Um, but in the process of this, I was looking at uh, Brandon Cook's splits on first uh, on first down. Brandon Cook's on first down is like by far the best receiver in the sport last year. And then on second and third down, he basically like kind of vanished. He was like, the Patriots' like third target, basically, on second and third down. And I went to look to figure out why was he used on first down so much. And when I went to look, it was like heavy run sets, right? So it's like 12 personnel, 21 personnel, two tight ends, two running backs, a combination of one of the two, right? Um, and basically what they would do is they would run that, that play action uh, dig post, right, where they basically have – one receiver on one side, one receiver on the other. They basically come out in a run formation, and then they, you know, Tom Brady turns his back to the defense. Everyone thinks it's run because they've been running that ball inside all game, and then all of a sudden it's Brandon Cooks one on one with Oakland Raiders defensive backs, just chasing his ass right yeah. tail end of the snake. Um, oh man! So to me, that's really interesting because so I, if if that's the same plan here, right? If if the plan is him being like the Z receiver replacement for uh, Sammy Watkins, right? That probably means that they're probably going to work heavier sets on first down, I would assume. Like, I would assume Cooper Cup probably doesn't get as many first down snaps as he did last year if they're going to do that. Because you can't really run those same type of plays um, when Brandon Cook, like, with multiple wide receivers. You know what I mean? Like, he can't really be one-on-one with that post um, off of play action if – there's a slot receiver on that side. So that that's one thing that I think going into the season where I'm like, Brandon Cook's speed matches up really well with Todd Gurley in the backfield because the defense basically has a 40-yard stretch where they're like, are we covering the deep <laughs> passing game or are we stopping Todd Gurley, who, by the way, hurts really bad when we tackle him. Yeah. Um, so I think they match up really well, but I think what gets lost – in stretching a defense that way is probably going to be a guy like Cooper Cup, I would think. Yeah, and, and I guess we'll see. I, I think he's like if there's going to be one that has like the severe drop off, it's probably going to be him. Also, he dropped like fifty thousand passes last year. Like, just imagine like where he could have been if he caught, if he dropped, if he caught like half of his drops. But uh, when he would have been in the top ten, just because like there's so many wide open plays down the field where he just dropping it. Uh, I mean, McVeigh was just a god in terms of scheming him open. He just like he he was good last it's year. It's gonna be it's gonna be chaos because it's gonna be like you could have a formation where you have a nub tight end, right? And then, then on the other side it's Brandon Cooks running off coverage and Robert Woods Cooper Cup working underneath, right? 
Or you could have a heavy set where you have a guy like Tyler, Tyler Higbee, racist, and uh, Gerald <laughs> Everett at tight end with Todd Gurley in the backfield, right? And you're like, okay, they're either going to pound the rock or they're going to go play action and just dump it as deep as possible to Brandon Cooks. And both of those things are possible within, like, they're, they're base players on offense, right? Like, they're not really bringing in, like, gimmick type of guys who can, like, just one run one route or do one thing, like, be a blocking tight end or something like that. Like, these guys are pretty well-rounded guys um, who they can flex out in a bunch of different situations. And, by the way, they can throw screens to Todd Gurley at any formation. And, again, Todd Gurley hurts to tackle. And yeah. he's really good at catching the ball off the screens. And he's really fast. Uh, so how, how much, so, okay. The Pittsburgh Steelers offered Le'Veon Bell basically what amounted to a one year, $21 million contract in team options. How much money would you pay to get Todd Gurley right now? If you didn't have a running back? I mean, if, if they're going to give late, I mean, if they're going to give Le'Veon 21, I probably offer Todd like 23 or 24. Like if you, if Todd Gurley came to me and was like, I want Thirty million dollars over two years. Like, oh, okay. I'm signing that today. <laughs> yeah, <I'd be> like, <laughs> that's that's perfectly fine with me. So like, so what sucks about Gurley, right? Is like he's probably going to be held for ransom for a while. Yeah. Like unless he lowballs himself relative to what the market's going to be after Le'Veon Bell si- signs a deal next year, and he definitely has to be rooting for Le'Veon Bell not to blow out, blow out a leg or something, right? Oh, you, um, you did you see what he tweeted today? Hashtag pay running backs. <laughs> He's got his eye on the prize already. But so they have the they have a they have a what is it the fifth year option right? Mm-hmm. They get slap him with the franchise tag, and right now running back market isn't even to the point where like Pittsburgh would even battered an eye for a second franchise tag. So like we're talking about three years beyond his rookie contract, where he still might not have a long term deal. So he has to make it to the so we're basically setting the precedent right now for first round running backs. You kind of have to hit year eight. Before you could sign a mega deal, which is so that awful. Sucks. That sucks. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, awful, dude. See, that's that's one thing that, like, we they gotta get like the NFLPS gotta figure out a way to get rid of the franchise tag because you're just you're you're cutting on guys' earning potential with that. Bad, bad. People don't understand like the the guaranteed money aspect of like long term contracts and like what this is. So like Le'Veon Bell's deal. His franchise tag, right, is fourteen point five million. His signing bonus on the deal that Pittsburgh offered him was ten. Right. Ten. He'd be insane to take that. <laughs> like it's offensive. Like they could have said that that deal was like a five year, eleven billion dollar contract. But at the end of the day, it was still, you know, you get basically twenty million dollars the first year and then you can be cut next year. It doesn't right. matter. It's it's just it's messed up. We're doing a running back. Todd, Todd, get your money because you deserve it. Yeah, I agree. And another thing that I thought was interesting just about Brandon Cooks, it feels like we're in a place where he's like severely, severely underrated. I mean, some people think he just outright sucks. Like they were baffled that the Rams extended him. I mean, like, have you watched him play? Well, like he didn't even get that much money. He got like a his his guaranteed money was like something like twenty million or something like that. Right. So, so he, he's on a two year deal. Like people, like I said, people get freaked out about big numbers and stuff. They don't really realize like the guaranteed money is what yeah, all that matters. So, like, so there was there were people tweeting at me like, "Yo, are the Rams are they in cap hell right now?" Like, no. Like they're <laughs> they're actually they're actually in a fantastic situation moving forward. You know, yeah, because they can still pay Aaron Donald if they want. To, if Sue wants to come back, they can pay Sue. Uh, and then because I'm, I'm sure Sue is only going to take a one or two year deal max. So, like, you're still kind of playing with house money on that one. 
Uh, they're in a great situation cap-wise. Don't believe anyone that says the Rams are, are screwed. They have uh, about $2 million left in cap space for the, for the 2018 season, but like we already said, it's July. There's no one else you could add at this point that's going to make a difference, really. Uh, so, yeah, don't believe... Yeah, we're, t- we're, t- we're talking about rollover money at this point. Which right. Like, so just okay, who cares? Who, who cares? <laughs> just don't believe the people when they say the Rams aren't cap held. They're in a fantastic situation to kind of keep this thing going for for a, a long time if you if you really look at if, if they if they had to hire if they had to uh, pay a franchise quarterback tomorrow they would struggle to do that anything realistic they're totally fine at this point right so. uh yeah so it's a good thing that Jared Goff is on his rookie deal let's dive into uh, oh oh over under what was it over under eight and a half but so when I was doing this it's more about the fact that the Rams had to play a first place schedule in the NFC than anything else where they have to play the Saints. They have to play the Vikings. They have to play the Eagles, right? I don't think that this team this team is better than the 49ers, but it would not surprise me at all if the 49ers had a better record than this team just because of strength of schedule. Yeah, uh, I, I think... Because yeah, the I thing is, I don't think... People, people talk about... People do this all the time where they're like, teams go up and down all the time. Well, sometimes we can tell when teams are going to go up and down. You know what I mean? Like The year after like Peyton Manning died, basically... No one really thought the Broncos were going to repeat and go back to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Um, when you look at the NFC right now, do you think that the Saints, you know, Saints, Rams, Eagles, what's the other team that I'm thinking? Vikings. Do you think any of those, the, the one seeds last year, do you think any of them regressed at all? No. They all got better. Yeah. I, I think almost, I, I think just about all the top teams in the NFC got better. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I that's, think that's just that's where that's where I'm conflicted. Where people always are like, you can't prognosticate strength of schedule that far out. And I'm like, it doesn't like unless a quarterback goes down with a knee injury. Like, I can't really see these teams being worse. Right, and uh, you know, if you just look at if you just look at who who made the playoffs at NFC last year, Eagles, they're getting better. Uh, you have the Vikings, they're getting better too. Falcons, I, I think that they got better on the offensive line and you know defensive tackle spot next to Jarrett is a bit of a question mark. But I mean that team is is pretty stacked right now. Uh, who else, who did the uh, Panthers? The Panthers they got better. that's a paper tiger. That's a paper tiger. That could fall apart at any second. Uh, that one's gonna fall. That's that's the spot that either the 49ers or Packers are gonna get this year. Yeah, and I mean yeah, the Packers they're getting Rodgers back. Uh, it's just I'm I'm pumped to watch NFC football this year, and I mean and I, and the AFC football usually sucks, and it probably will suck again this year. But at least we have the intrigue of like all these young quarterbacks coming into uh, the conference at the same time, and you know you get Watson coming back from injury and hopefully luck, just whatever. Uh, but yeah, it, it's the NFC is going to be a dogfight, and like if, if the Rams hit the wild card again i wouldn't be surprised just because like the top of that conference is so so strong right now yeah really like i guess just if you're a rams fan like don't don't take offense that people aren't projecting your team to go like 13 and 3 like everyone knows everyone knows you're good if you make it to the wild card in the nfc this year you are a good team you did you did very well you survived in advance you you got a you know take it to the Big dance, so yeah, it's going to be a bloodbath this year. Because I mean, even even the the teams that didn't make the playoffs, like the Bears, are going to be more like Wa- Washington. Washington had a full blown collapse and went seven and nine. Right, right. That's that's, like, that's what we're talking <laughs> like, about on this. I mean, Detroit. It, Detroit just got the best year out of Matt Stafford in his NFL career by yeah, far, by far. And they and they did not get to the playoffs. 
Yep. And now, like Russell Russell Wilson was a borderline MVP candidate at some points uh, in the season last year, and they did not make the playoffs. Like that. That's the reality of the NFC right now. Yep. I. Uh, so yeah, don't don't take offense. You know, if if I I, I think the Rams are probably going to end up in that nine and seven, ten and six range. But that's a really good tier for just how stacked the NFC is. Like, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if there aren't any NFC teams over 11 wins. Yeah, like, it, yeah, if, like, the two seed was, like, 11 and 5, right. I'd be like, yep, that, that, makes, makes, that, that makes, makes total sense. It makes a lot of sense. Like, Minnesota might end up, like, 12 and 4 just because they play the AFC East. And, ooh, buddy, is the AFC East fucking awful. When did they play the Bills? Is that late in the season? Because we're going to get Josh Allen versus Purple People Eaters. Him him and that Alabama receiver who was with the one team and caught three balls for Nick Saban. Robert Foster. My goodness. All right, let me find this. I forgot they signed Stark Ludolini that much money. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Uh, They played the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota week three. Mm, Good luck. Uh, okay. Oh my God. Okay, we're we're playing this game. Buffalo. This is a Buffalo Bills podcast now. Week one at Baltimore. Week two against the Los Angeles Chargers. Week three at Minnesota. Week four at Green Bay. Usually, I wouldn't include Green Bay on anything defensively, but they rehaul that entire defense. Petten, have a Petten, real defense coordinator. Yeah. So, uh, whoo boy. That's a, that's gonna be awful four game stretch for for whoever starts for the Bills. Like yeah. they're legitimately gonna be in draft season mode a week and or a month in the year. Because <laughs> we do this, we run the numbers thing right on the like the zero and two teams in the NFL. You have a ten percent chance of making the playoffs. The Bills might start zero and four. Right, and, and I think what that's that's a great point about the zero and two thing. It's like the 0-2 thing and the delusion of your everyday NFL fan. Like, I don't think people understand 16 games is not a lot at all. So if you if you wind up in an 0-2 hole, you pretty much you have gotta, to You got to go like 10-4. and 4. Like 10-4 and 4 to be in the conversation to make the playoffs. Right, which is, you know, if you start off 0-2, so what's, what's the likely chance that you wind up going 10-4? and 4? Last year, the team was New Orleans. I right. think about that. Like how New Orleans had to like... Yeah, and rock, rocket themselves out of it, and like part of that was like Adrian Peterson, like just pouting on the sideline, and like Sean Payton for some reason, like putting up with it. Yeah, and then you know it, it's kind of it's also kind of easy, or not not easy, but easier to dig yourself out of that hole when you got Drew Brees, the top three offensive line, Marvin Ingram, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas on the outside. Like that's a feasible aspect for a team that talented, but the Bills are not even close to that. So no. All right, let's let's stop shitting on the Bills. We have an entire podcast we're going to devote to them. So yeah, uh, questions. Uh, let's see. What made this is from uh, the champion at HD Robot? What made McVay's offense so potent, and is it likely to repeat? So I mean, we already kind of talked about our, some regression is going to have to hit just because you can't have like that many receivers that are that efficient with the ball. But I mean, also at the same time, you're also adding one of the most efficient receivers in the league, and Brandon Cooks. So I don't really know, but what made them so potent? I, I I just thought that they did a really good job of kind of like playing away from Jared Goff's weaknesses. Like like Jared Goff was very much a point guard in that offense, and not someone that's going to take everything by the reins and go win a game for you. Like I think we saw in that playoff game 
versus the Falcons when, you know, you got the speed and the linebacking core to kind of mitigate those screens for Todd Gurley, and you got the speed on the outside to kind of take care of Sammy Watkins. You know, he's, when he's left his own devices, I don't know if he's good enough to kind of carry an offense, and I thought that McVay did a really good job of just kind of making sure you get guys in space, spread the ball around a lot, spread the ball around a lot, maybe adding a deep shot for Sammy Watkins. But, yeah, I, that's kind of how I feel about it. What do you think makes, makes Vay so good? Um, so this is a conversation that I've had with people when people talk about coaching versus personnel, basically, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of a big believer in just like talent, basically, you know, talent can dictate what you can call. You know what right, I mean? Right. So like when Tavon Austin is your number one receiver and not just a jet guy who's like a fourth wide receiver complement to your guy, to your offense, like that opens up things for Todd Gurley. You know what I mean? Like that, that opens up the screen game. That does a lot for you. When Tavon Austin had to be the vertical guy out of heavy sets, that offense wasn't going to work. So I think if Sean McVay had the offense that basically like the personnel that the, uh, the Rams had in, what was it, 2016? I think I think that offense would have looked really different in terms of efficiency. Um, one thing that I think makes it go is just honestly like hitting on Cooper Cup, hitting on Robert Woods, um, trading for Sammy Watkins late, buying Andrew Whitworth. Like those are very big moves. Like when you can yeah. have a guy like Josh Reynolds and he's your he was their fifth wide receiver last year, and people were talking about Josh Reynolds like in draft season, like oh yeah he can like contribute right away as a slot guy. Yeah, and he ended up being the fifth guy in Los Angeles. Like I don't know, man. Like at some point, like personnel helps a lot and they they hit on personnel and other teams had chances to sign Andrew Whitworth and you know Robert Woods other teams have a chance to draft Cooper Cup trade for uh Sammy Watkins trade for Brandon Cooks but the Rams actually did it and it's working out for him so good for him but I I do think that like at some some point like people aren't talking about like the personnel enough right like the, the coaching is cool like that screen that they do near um like in the red zone not not at the goal line but where they basically have like the receiver run a jet and then it ends up being like a bubble right back. You know what I mean? You know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like that that play's cool, right? And like NFL teams are stealing that and stuff like that. I bet some defenses figure out how to stop that play uh, this offseason, right? Yeah. Uh, but other than that, like they're not really doing anything schematically different, right? They're not like running the option or anything. It doesn't look like they're running like the run and shoot or anything like that. It's just like, oh yeah, teams are really scared of our, our wide receivers downfield. Uh Andrew Whitworth can block for Todd Gurley in the open space on the screen. Yeah. Uh, and I mean in, uh, that's another point with, with Gurley, like he had a really good rookie season and he was kind of bogged down by injuries in Jeff Fisher in his second year. So like it wasn't that surprising that he had a complete like dominant breakout year this year. Well teams also like this was the point with the golf thing too for me was when we were talking about golf and I was so golf in 2016, right. Was basically put in the position that he was in the Falcons game where it was like, you have to win this because we're going out of heavy sets because Tavon Austin is our only deep threat. And he's the only guy anyone is going to respect as a deep threat at all period. And when you got into heavy sets, you can bring creative blitzes, right? And when creative blitzes came his way as a rookie quarterback, he wasn't able to handle that. And when teams were stacking the box because they knew he couldn't really de- – if you can't deal with the blitz and make teams pay for the blitz, they're just going to keep on blitzing. We talked about this with uh, how, like, the evolution of it happened. Remember the Arizona game, right, happened where they're sending slot blitzes all the time. And then it got to the New England game where they were sending blitzes from the field where they're like, yeah, he's just going to get them, like, three and a half seconds into this because he has no pocket presence basically. Um, and when stuff like that happens, of course 
Todd Gurley's not going to be able to run because they're basically playing in like cover zero, cover one the entire game. So there's not a situation where you can run the ball. So I do think that that like basically relegating Tavon Austin to uh, to that fourth, you know, basically jet wide receiver role was huge for him. And all that comes from talent acquisition. Yep. Uh, next question. Who is or who's better, Kyle? Sh- this is from Connor Manley. Who's better, Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay, and why? I mean, I, I, I Shanny, Shanny's done it longer. Yeah, Shanahan's done it longer, and honestly, I just think I think Shanahan's harder to prepare for because, like Shanahan, once he got that quarterback, like it was a completely different ball game for him. Uh, I mean, I, I obviously like, like you said, it the personnel matters a lot, and we were talking earlier about how. When you have Hoyer and Beathard, you can see those guys, those receivers, like, breaking open on tape, but they just can't hit them. Like, I think that their first game against the Panthers this past season was a phenomenal example. I mean, Shanahan schemed the hell out of uh, Steve Wilkes. I mean, just dragged them through the dirt. But if you have a quarterback that can hit the throws, it doesn't really matter. And now he has a quarterback that hit the throws. So I really think that offense is going to explode this year. I just think that Shanahan throws so much at you. uh, like schematically, that when he does have the talent, you see, oh, he can pull off a 2016 Falcon season, or he can do what he had with, uh, you know, Matt Schaub and Under Johnson, where he's turned Matt Schaub to uh, an almost 5,000 yard passer. You know, it's he. I, I think he's like one of the best that we've had in a long time. So I'm gonna go Shanahan just because he's he's done it without the personnel too. I'm with you. The NFL should lock up these guys for like 30 years, though. Yep, I'm ha- I'm happy with these guys being 30 year guys. These guys and Lincoln Riley, let them be the faces of the new NFL. Get Mike McCarthy out of here. Yeah. Uh, hold on. Next question and last question. This is from a Seahawks fan. Uh, how do you think losing Cam and Sherman changes Pete Carroll's cover one and, and three philosophies and tendencies, if at all? Uh, here's some relevant research on Sherman's performance, middle field coverages. So without Earl Thomas, I mean, we we, we all know. That without Earl Thomas, I mean, they're not even close to the same defense. But what 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 makes you think that they're going to change this defense? I mean, they just hired Brian Schottenheimer. They're not a team right now that's looking like to be cutting edge in any type of way. Yeah, and the thing about the Seahawks too, and like the reason why they cut Sherman, and like even going into last year, right? There were rumors about Sherman basically being out the door and stuff. They came down to like basically Schneider, right? Was like we didn't come in here thinking that we were going to pay cornerbacks. That's why we played cover three. And the NFL is very different now compared to then what it was then, right? Where, like, now you probably should – like, cornerbacks are probably – outside of quarterbacks <laughs> and pass rushers, go pay fucking cornerbacks right now. But their plan right now is basically, like, just don't pay corners and we're going to play cover three. And, like, right, but God the- bless you. But if you play, like, some team that just wants to run four verts on you and they can get vertical with those four guys, it, it could be a mess real quick. But even that, like, when you when you play cover three, so much of that, like, naturally... It, it stresses the corner, yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's a very different sport now than it was, what was it, 2012 or whatever when Snyder got there? Yeah, but it's just kind of a baffling thing, like, to watch that and say, okay, we run, we run cover three so we don't need to pay our cornerbacks. Well, when you play cover three... Most of it, it's just like naturally turning into zone, you know. I mean, matru- naturally turning into man coverage, you know. So, yeah, for sure. Why are you not trying to pay these guys that are going to be playing a lot of man coverage, regardless? Like, whether well, you're like, all three or one. Th- the point of, I think 
part of that too is Pete's very confident in coaching defensive backs himself, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's part of it too. But and he has had success. I mean, they had like guys like Brandon Browner who you completely forget like exist, mm-hmm. right? And then she can they had, yeah, like those guys. Those guys just kind of pop out of the woodwork there. So maybe maybe they do have a point. Maybe they can survive without paying a quarterback. And if that's the truth, like that's a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You're saving. You're saving a ton of money if you can get by with whoever at cornerback. So yeah, but I, I think if you can cool. But we don't have a track record. Like other than Seattle having it opposite of Richard Sherman with Earl Thomas in the middle of the field, the Camp Chancellor in the box, which in itself is like an asterisk next, next to anything. We haven't really seen any other team just be able to pop out corners like that. Yeah, and uh, you know if if Pete's really as good as, as he is at coaching defensive backs which he probably is uh i mean that that is legitimate strength of his i mean they, they've always had guys that can play back there well, i mean we see how fast that byron maxwell and brandon browner fell off as soon as they left seattle so i think we know that pete's at, at least that that team is good at it it's just I, I think the reasoning of saying well we're running cover three so we need to pick corners like that reasoning just does not make any sense to me but you know neither is hiding brown china over Rest in uh, peace. Yeah. Rest in peace to Seahawks dynasty. Pour one out for the Legion of Boom. I think that I think we touched pretty much all these other questions throughout the course of the podcast. So, you want to wrap it up? Yeah. I mean, what do you want me to say? <laughs> J U M O S Q. Go follow him at Charles McDonald on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, this song was it was, was on purpose. But uh, yeah. So we're gonna crank through these before the season starts. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a. Uh, Football's right around the corner, and I'm ready because, look, there's nothing. There's like I feel like this has been one of the quietest NFL summers we've had in a minute. I mean, because that shady story died so quickly. Uh, I'm sure we'll get some resolution on that in the coming weeks, but there's just not much going on. So we got to get mad about Jimmy Garoppolo going to dinner with a porn star. Like it's almost power ranking season, man. <sighs> it's almost close. Listen, power rankings. We're almost there. Yep. Uh, Even though Super Bowl odds have been out for six months, three months, three months, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that'll conclude episode seventy-eight of Send the Edge. We'll be back with I want to say, what do you want to do, East or East or North? Uh, we could put off the North till the end. Let's talk about the East. All right, uh, so we'll be back next week. AFC with, East with the AFC East Josh Allen episode. See you, Bills Mafia, then. <laughs>